Hey, what up, Long Beach? Welcome back to the one and only Long Beach State Athletics Podcast featuring the one and only Athletics Director, Andy Fee. It is the Andy Fee Show, hosted by us, the 562.org, which is myself, JJ Fiddler, and to my right... Mike Gardabasio, uh, normally Monday, 6 p.m., we're down at Legends. Uh, we felt like the national championship game might interfere slightly with our ability to record, so we are in the friendly confines of the Euclid Room at the Pyramid, joined, as always, by Andy Fee. Andy, welcome to your show. Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are we doing? We are doing very well. You've had a busy week. No, it's been, it's been a real quiet week for Andy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, he got to the beach... <laughs> He was able to kick his feet up and relax. Yeah, uh, nothing, nothing too exciting. <laughs> Quiet social media, you know, weekend. Just, uh, you know, prepping for uh, for volleyball, right? Obviously, we're joking. Andy Fee and the athletics department here at Long Beach State. Dan Munson's five-year extension announced Thursday with a multimedia layout unlike any other that we've seen either here or, or anywhere around the country. Um, j- just talk about the decision to bring back Dan Munson for five years to really kind of solidify that he's going to be here for the long haul. Yeah, you know, Dan is the right guy for the job. Um, I have 100% confidence in Dan to lead our program forward. Um, you know, the three pillars that I always talk about, and I'll say them again very quickly, is to provide the best possible experience for the student-athletes and that's in the classroom and on the court, and to build and sustain winning programs. And then third is to do things the right way. And over his career here at Long Beach State, Dan has done that. Um, You know, he had one more year left on his contract. I've shared it before. I I am not a fan of going into the last year of a contract uh, in a lame duck status, if at all possible. Uh, so what we wanted to do was, was find an equitable way to, to keep Dan here and to keep leading the program for uh, an additional five years, and, you know, we've accomplished that. So what was really surprising, uh, and first of all, you know, you did break the news that you guys were looking to re-sign Dan on this show last week. So if people are looking for another reason to tell all their friends to subscribe to the LBF show, there you go. Um, there's a number of ways you guys could have gone about this. I think what really fascinated JJ and I was you talked on the show last week about – the expectations haven't been met for what the program is. Dan actually talked about that in the video. It's, we, we were sort of joking. It's like a fireside chat that you guys did that you put up with Dan. Um, there's a marketing strategy that would have been like, boom, he's the the wins the all-time wins leader at the university, which he is. He's back five years, you know, two thumbs up. And you guys chose instead to really focus on Dan and you and everyone else feeling like, you know, it has been short the last couple of years of where you want it to be, and this is how you think you're going to get it back. What went into that decision, you know, and what was that like? I mean, we even saw on the Twitter account, the uh, LBSU Hoops Twitter account, um, was actually answering some of those points, you know, that it was like, yeah, we agree this hasn't been where it's supposed to be. So what goes into that decision-making process? Why did you guys feel that was important? Well, you know, I I think I've talked about it before about being transparent. You know, that's a big key uh, to what I want to do as the director of athletics here at Long Beach State. Um, And, you know, (laughs) Could we go around and and do exactly what you said and just say, hey, all-times win leader? Sure, but I don't think that's being real. You know, I want to say, you know, I respect and appreciate our fans, boosters, donors, and community. And as such, I think, you know, we need to be real with them. Um, You know, Dan acknowledges and I acknowledge, you know, that last two years have not not met our expectations. Um, And I've shared, I don't think we're that far away. Um, You know, not that this is any consolation, but... You know, we finished nine and seven in conference. Could have been ten and six if uh, TJ doesn't throw in that half court uh, against <laughs> us in the Davis game. But uh, you know, it's and, and I'm sure you'll you'll talk with Coach Nepp about this. You know, winning 
it's so hard to do, right? Everybody looks at it, you know, and from the casual fan to even myself when you're in the stands, it's really easy to coach from the stands. It's really easy to coach from the sidelines. It's incredibly easy. It's, it's I've, I'm, undefe- I haven't, I'm undefeated was, from the stands. I was going to say, I haven't lost a game either. So, <laughs> you know, I just got to keep that streak going. But, but Dan, um, you know, I think when Dan and I were talking over the last couple of weeks prior to the announcement was, you know, what, what do we want and what do we expect from the program going forward? And, you know, my my expectation is that we're Saturday night at the Honda Center or wherever we're playing in the future, that we're playing for the conference title and an automatic bid to the NCAA tournament. Um, and again, it's not easy, but we have high expectations. We haven't met it. But I think, you know, what Dan and I talked about is refocusing the program. And this is something Dan came to me with. Um, not even I didn't even start the conversation, but Dan said, you know, we need to get back to where we were. And I think if you go back a few years, I mean, this program was the cream of the crop in the Big West in terms of swagger and, and, and who we were. Um, and Dan, obviously, you know, he hasn't forgotten how to coach. He hasn't forgotten how to recruit. Uh, again, you know, I think Dan may have made a few decisions that, you know, whether it was bringing a few guys in that, that may, really didn't fit him maybe or the program. Um, but, you know, I think if we get back to, to where Dan uh, sees the program, Again, the, the gap isn't that far, and, you know, again, I, I just believe in Dan and, and who he is. Part of that transparency and the whole rollout, the two videos we talked about, there was also you guys anticipated the questions that were going to come when you announced it and answered them preemptively. And part of that was saying that it, the contract, the new contract he signed, uh, would save 40% annually for the university. That's the number one question we've gotten from our readers is, what does that mean? Yeah, so, you know, Dan and I talked, and um, – you know, I, I think I, I, I was talking to you guys um, a few years ago. You know, Steve Alford turned down a contract extension and, and felt that, you know, he hadn't, hadn't earned that per se. Uh, when I talked to Dan, he still had that additional year on there. But, but Dan said, hey, you know, I, I need to do a better job. I need to, to get us where, you know, collectively want to be. And I think this goes to why I love Dan is he's just real. And, uh, you know, this contract um, – you know, he was at $800,000 a year, uh, the top of, of the conference in terms of salary. Um, and he's now at 500000 in base, but it's very incentivized. So if we win, um, he'll be making the same amount, if not more. Um, but, you know, he has to earn it. And that was something he wanted to prove was not to be given anything, but to earn it. And, uh, you know, this new contract allows us to, to reinvest um, funds into the men's basketball program, and, and not just the men's basketball program, but our other programs. So, you know, that 40% in savings goes beyond just uh, talking about men's basketball. It goes into all the other 18 sports where we can do additional things. So when JJ and I sit down to renegotiate our contract as co-host of the OVF show, you're saying you'd be open to an incentive-based structure. <laughs> Correct. You okay. know, we'll just look at the ratings. We'll see. Okay. Uh, we'll see where those come in, and you know, you guys could be vacationing in Hawaii. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'd just take a flight. You know, we'll go out with the softball team or something. That's fine. Uh, we're happy to work on the job as well. Uh, so you mentioned uh, all of the the, the response. I, I think that that's a it's an interesting point about the about the savings um, and. Uh, a question that we sort of had was Dan was really he mentioned in the video and I've talked with him a little bit about this but he said uh, that he thought the contract would allow him to instead of feeling like oh my gosh we have to you know get it done this year that the number of years allows them to build a little bit more so as opposed to we're going to try and get the most athletic four or five transfers in maybe you take more of the local kids 
that are going to be four-year guys like a Casper Ware, who is an undersized guy who didn't really – I don't think he had a, a lot of, if any, scholarship offers besides Long Beach State, and he turns into a conference player of the year and defensive player of the year. Is that where you anticipate things going, that it's a little bit more – homegrown and more four-year guys as opposed to sort of the transfers coming in and being here for a year or two? Definitely. I mean, I think if you go back and, and uh, you know, I kind of went through kind of the, the Gonzaga years and the Minnesota years. And if you look at those teams, you know, Dan did not rely on a lot of transfers. I mean, he'd get one here and there, but those were teams built upon uh, high school kids coming in. Um, you know, not always the highest ranked recruits coming in, but, but Dan developed them. You know, the Dan Dickows of the world, the Casey Calverts of the world. Um, you know, so I think that's his philosophy, and that's what he talked about was getting back to, to what he felt really in the long run is more stable. Uh, so I think what you will see is exactly what you just said, is more local recruits, more high school recruits. And, yeah, I don't, I don't think he'd ever turn down a, a transfer per se, but the, the need to bring in multiple transfers, that, I don't think that's where he wants to be. It, it is an interesting point, though, as we talked about. We talked about the Loyola Chicago run last week, right? That that's what the pressure is on every mid-major is everyone's fan base, you know, of the 300 mid-majors, everyone thinks that this year they could get to the Sweet 16. And it, it can be easy to fall into not necessarily a transfer trap, but it can be easy to fall into that We've got to make this the year that we've got to run like that as opposed to the way that he did it at Gonzaga. The way he did it here when they went, obviously, a few years ago is with those four-year guys. And then in year two or three, you start really being able to potentially knock off some of those national uh, national powers. Yeah, I mean, I think if you talk to most coaches, you know, the teams that are very successful are, are usually the veteran teams. Those are teams that have players who've been in the system, understand the system, understand the coach's philosophy. Um, not to say you can't have success with a Fab Five per se, but I think you know across the board, anecdotally, that that's where you'll find it. And you know, I, I don't know the Loyola Chicago roster that well, but my guess is those are veteran guys on that team that that have bought into the culture, that have bought into the philosophy. And I think um, that's where you know, again, I'm making a, a broad brushstroke here, but I think most coaches that's what they're striving for. Continuity is a big deal. Um, you know, having this five-year extension uh, allows Dan to, to make good decisions, I think, instead of having to make, you know, quick snap decisions and think about, as you said, well, I got to do it this year. I better bring in this guy. Um, you know, having said that is, is, is not to, to paint a picture that we don't want to be competitive every year. But um, I think when you start making kind of knee-jerk reactionary decisions, um, normally those don't go well for you. All right, last on this, the Dan Munson contract extension, five years announced on Thursday. Now you got to figure out how it's going to work, right, or if it's working. You mentioned this 21-point metric in the video that you did. Uh, what does that mean, and, and how are you going to use it throughout the years with Munson? Yeah, so, um, you know, when I first got here, uh, Dan was a direct report to me. I was his sports supervisor and, uh, and obviously loved, loved that. But um, I, I've, I've named uh, Rob Clark, uh, Executive Senior Associate AD, uh, to supervise the program on, on a daily basis. And he and Coach Munson have a great relationship. They get along really well. Um, but Rob's going to be a very day-to-day, -day, uh, eyes and ears uh, we've got some metrics in place, that the 21-point plan that, that, that you were just referring to. And this is something that Dan was excited about, um, was how do we, as, as we move along, assess the program? You know, it's the old, the old objective versus subjective. And, you know, it's, well, who's doing a good job? Well, it depends on what your definition of good is. So if we put some things in place that can measure uh, our recruiting success, 
um, you know, the, the development success of what we're doing and then just the, the, the administrative side of, of things, which, you know, uh, you know, coaches don't get into coaching to be administrators. They get into coaching to, to make a difference in, in young people's lives. But I think administratively we can provide support for Dan that uh, takes some of the things off his plate. Um, you know, he, he has so many relationships um, across uh, the college basketball landscape and, you know, a lot of the games that we get are because Dan has personal relationships. Um, but one thing we want to do, and, and we touched on it, and, and I'm kind of deviating here, but going to scheduling. Um, we're working on a, um, a possibility of, of creating a tournament here. Um, it would probably be the earliest 19, uh, fall of 19, but to bring in some of, um, you know, the country's better teams to come here the week of Thanksgiving, uh, beginning part of that week of Thanksgiving week. And uh, to get at least two home games, uh, two really good, you know, quality home games for us where we, we would not be able to normally do that just to bring them in on our own. But if we can work with a group to, to, to secure, you know, whether it's a six-team, eight-team uh, tournament uh, with some local flavor, but some teams from across the country that people know, people, big names that, that will come here. I think that creates more excitement. That creates more balance in our scheduling, which is something Dan's uh, pointed out. I mean, we've had some crazy, you know, in the in the world of transparency, we've had some crazy road trips. You know, a couple of years ago it was like an eleven day cross country, twelve different time zones. Get out your passport, <laughs> uh, you know, and and that's tough. I mean, I, I don't care how young you are, eighteen to twenty two, but when you're jumping on a plane and showing up the next day and playing a game, it, it's not that easy. So, you know, going back to the metrics, going back to the scheduling philosophy. Uh, you know, I think there's some things we can do to help Dan, but, you know, Dan's a master coach. Uh, he knows the game. Uh, he understands the game. Um, and, you know, again, I, I couldn't be more thrilled to, uh, to have him here leading the program. Well, I will let my wife know that we've got to go travel to see her family this Thanksgiving because Thanksgiving week in 2019 is spoken for. Uh, that was a lot of extra information. You guys obviously put a lot out already, um, but appreciate you taking the time to talk about that. We're going to get into this week at the beach and talk about some of the big events going on around uh, campus this week. Uh, and then we're going to bring on our special guest, Alan Knipe, head coach of the number one ranked Long Beach State men's volleyball team. Uh, JJ, what are you excited about this week? Well, Friday night, Bull Diamond at Blair Field. It's on. Big West Conference play begins. Black and blue rivalry style. Dirtbags taking on UC Irvine. That's a three-gamer Saturday and Sunday. Does at, Irvine uh, have to win some games in that series for it to be considered a rivalry still? Or it's been that... very strange because they're leading the all-time series, but the Anteaters got swept last year, and the Dirtbags have beaten them six of the last seven times. So, yeah, it's very strange because those teams have been right there, as has the whole conference battling for that conference title. They were one of the last four teams from the Big West to get to the College World Series. I'm just, it feels more like the relationship I have with my son. It's not a rivalry. I just tell him to clean his room up and then he has to clean it up do you know what I mean <laughs> the Big West is kind of down this year and not that they're down because they don't have as much talent but they played such ridiculously hard preseason schedules that they put themselves kind of in this position I was talking to Troy Buckley today and he said I don't see an at-large bid coming out of the Big West because of these yeah. overall uh overall uh, records and that means that the conference schedule and these games are going to be that much more intense because there's only one spot on the line now yeah, I mean, it's it's always competitive. Uh, you know, it was a tough weekend at, at, at Fresno. You know, I think the first two days were, there were football games versus baseball games. <laughs> Your routine 24-10 to 10 college baseball game, yeah, on Thursday. <laughs> you know, a two-touchdown win by the Dirtbags is always a good thing. So, 
But, uh, you know, West Coast baseball, we've all talked about this before, how competitive it is. I mean, I don't care who you're facing. Everybody's got a Friday night guy. Everyone's got a pretty good Saturday guy. And then Sunday, you know, you might face, a, you know, a little bit of a Johnny Holstaff. But, uh, you know, that's what, you know, conference is going to be this year. I mean, I think every conference series is going to be a dogfight. I think everybody believes they have a chance to, to get in there. And there's not going to be a lot of margin for error. So, I think you're going to see tight games. I mean, it's it's going to be great baseball, but it's going to be nerve-wracking baseball. Only two regular season games left on the schedule for the women's water polo team. They'll be at Hawaii on Friday, uh, not too or on Saturday. Not too late to send JJ and I out there. It is. It's, uh, there are it's, a few days. It's left. true. First place on the line, Andy. It's, it's a huge game. You know, I mean, and you know, volleyball is going to be out there soon. I, maybe you guys should just be stationed out there. You know, I don't, I don't know if that's in the budget, but we can look at you it. No, we'll talk offline about it. Um, but uh, the the Long Beach State softball team ranked number eighteen. Are, are there new rankings out? Are they still at number eighteen? Okay, well, yeah. so they come out on Tuesday. If you're listening to this, they probably moved up a little bit after a, a exciting sweep of Hawaii that saw Cielo Meza struck out 17 to set a, a new school record on Friday and then had a better game on Saturday through the second no-hitter of the season for her. Uh, they'll be hosting UC Riverside at 1 p.m. on Saturday. And then that evening, we're going to be in the pyramid for the men's volleyball, taking on UC San Diego for their senior night. Uh, and obviously we'll talk more about that with Coach Knipe in a little bit. Also on Saturday, women's tennis going to be at home. After being on the road last week, they're going to be taking on San Diego State in non-conference play. All of that scheduling calendar stuff you can find at the562.org. We are going to bring in our special guest now, uh, but as we were talking about 562, we should probably talk about it a little bit more. Uh, the 562.org is the new nonprofit uh, local sports coverage website that JJ and I have started. It is nonprofit. It relies on donations and public support. Uh, we've got a daily newsletter. We've got videos. We've got previews, recaps, photos. We've got Twitter updates. We've got everything you could ever want. Uh, and it's all Long Beach. You're not going to see any other universities on the cover of anything that we put out. Uh, Long Beach first, by the city, for the city. Uh, so please go to the 562.org, click subscribe, sign up, and support it. Every day, brand new content on the website. And every week, every Thursday, the Grunion Gazette, it's free, everybody. Go pick that thing up. The only all Long Beach sports section in Long Beach is brought to you by the 562.org. With that being said, we're going to bring in our guest. Uh, I feel like I've been hanging out with him a lot lately. The coach of the number one men's volleyball team in the country, Alan Knipe. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Coach Knipe, 15th year here at Long Beach State, a SoCal native and uh, one heck of a volleyball player yourself as well. Uh, alum here from Long Beach State, 90 to 92, won the national championship in 1991. And yeah, Mike just said it, you are the coach of the number one team in the nation. And around these parts, we don't get to say that very often. So we just want to say it as many times as we can. <laughs> That's fine with me. <laughs> Hopefully you get to say it a lot. Um, Alan, uh, I, I was uh, here on Friday for the uh, the five-setter. Really exciting match against Irvine, uh, which I think I mentioned to you. To see 2,000 crowds here for a men's volleyball match while you guys were on spring break was pretty awesome. And then yeah. to have it go five sets was uh, probably more exciting for me than it was for you, but it was definitely exciting. And then it's Saturday at Irvine. You guys beat them in four to improve to 21-0 and on the season. Uh, what, what's the ride of this season been like, uh, you know, up to this point? Well, it, it, it's been, it's been an incredible ride. There's no, there's no way around that. Um, but you know, you're looking at, a you're looking at a lot of guys, um, within our program that have been part of two, you know, back to back final four teams. So it wasn't like we were coming in trying to reboot, trying to figure out what our goals were. As sure. The there's a lot of known, known entities coming in. Exactly. Sure. So, but what, 
what's also I think you gotta you gotta mention with this group, it's easy to say when you return quality players like Kyle Insing and Josh Tuaniga and and TJ DeFalco that we're just returning our same team. But you know, there's seven guys that start. We re we uh, we had to replace four starters on this year's team. So um, that's that's an interesting challenge for a program and a coaching staff when you have your three intricate parts of the team coming back and and they've been in two final fours and you got some guys that haven't maybe played any points for us and we were trying to balance that so I think we spent most of the offseason as a coaching staff trying to make sure that we were going to find a way to bring this group together challenge our three returners that have been on the court challenge them to lead by example try to have the frustration that can happen with some growth um, be pushed aside and, and still use the emotion and make it determination to get to get a little bit better and and I think that what what I've probably noticed more out of this whole process is how much the guys that have been in our program for a couple of years really did retain in our own gym uh, even though they didn't get a lot of chances to use it in matches and were able to step on the court and ready to go and that's something we've talked about for years we've been trying to build. So a lot of credit to the guys. Well, I've said, and I know you probably won't uh, have anything to say in response to it, but I feel like I've definitely been at practices of yours where the, the match between your ones and your twos was sometimes more intense, at least in terms of the emotional pitch, yep. than the matches on Friday and Saturday night. I mean, I know that's been a hallmark of your guys' program. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that's responsible for some of what you said with those guys being able to step in this year? Yeah, without a doubt. I think that uh, it's really difficult to play high-level matches that you can't you can't somewhat simulate in practice. And how do you simulate it? Sometimes as a coach, you simulate it with a, a difficult scoring system so that the starters have to do more. Uh, but when you can get a balance with the other team, your second team, or whatever you want to call it, your B-side team, as our guys like to call themselves, the kitchen, um, <laughs> whatever, it, whatever we're going to label it, um, there, there's plenty of times we go head up and our other side is, is winning some matches, winning some drills. Um, and then they, at the same time, when we put some scoring drills together that it's more difficult for the first team, their energy, their effort, and their mob-like mentality on purpose to make it feel like there's nobody on the beat. No one's supporting the six guys on the court other than themselves. Everybody in the gym's pushing for the second team is on purpose. Then our guys have to grind. They feel anxiety. And what's best about our, our older guys, or our, I should say our, our guys that are on the starting team right now, is they'll be quick to tell you how important the guys on the other side of the net are there to their improvement every single day. Uh, one of those guys in the starting lineup you may have heard of, TJ DeFalco, one of two guys to get an award this week. And we were watching him play you know, a few years ago when he was at Huntington Beach. And you could already kind of tell that he had that uh, international look to him. Yeah. Does he remind you of any international player you've seen or maybe somebody that you've played with? Well, you know, TJ's unique, you know, because there's uh, you want to compare him because of his arm and his offense to big outside hitters, but he's really not the biggest outside hitter on the international scene. Then you look at his ball control and you want to compare him to maybe some of the smaller technical outside hitters. And he just, what's really but impressive. He'll block 10, but he'll put up 10 blocks. But he'll block 10 sure. and have five aces in a, in, in a set. And then, you know, he, this is the second year in a row that he's hitting over 400 on the left, which is a really, really big number for even a middle blocker, never mind an outside hitter. So um, it's hard, to, it's hard to, uh, to compare TJ. What I'd like to, to say is that he... The, the most special thing about TJ is that he really doesn't think he's close to the player he's capable of being. And like any great player, that's what's going to make him the player he's going to be. And so he comes in and he, he pushes. We have a grid award we give every week. has nothing to do 
with the best player on our team. It's just a matter of the guy who's come in. He's committed to getting better that week, individually and collective goals, and he accomplishes those. TJ's won that award, just like Josh and other guys on our team and lots of other players have. But when you have your talented, your marquee players winning those awards, then good things are happening in your gym. So I don't know. I, I think that when we're done with this whole thing, a lot of people are going to be compare, comparing themselves to TJ and not TJ's <laughs> going to have to worry about comparing himself to others. Right, for sure. We, one thing I've talked about with you, I mean, some of the stuff we talked uh, to Andy about in terms of recruiting is you're having like it just feels like a unicorn period as a coach where you've got the, you know these three guys you mentioned your three core guys that yeah. started as freshmen back two years they're local guys I mean Josh grew up Josh Tuanika grew up close to the campus yep. uh, TJ and Kyle being you know just down the road in Huntington um, you probably drove past their houses on the on the way to work um, and they also happen to be you know like the top guys at their position in the country. There's the, the crowd support's been unbelievable. You're number one in the country. You set the program record for the best start ever at 21 and 0. Um, how hard is it to distinguish between we want to appreciate these times here because you could coach a long time and never have sure. all of the things we just mentioned happening, sure. right? Um, with the you know we don't want to talk about any of that stuff. We just want to get ready for Friday's match. Well, I think the longer you do it, the more you realize that you're exactly right. You, you need to be able to enjoy the moments within the week, within the weekend, with the month or the season, whatever it might be. However, when you've done it long enough, you realize that they're not as important as the big picture. And I think that the longer you have success and with our guys having some winning the conference last year and going to the final four and getting the at-large the year before, then it's not that the smaller goals that you accomplish don't matter because they do. But they've been there before and they've done that and they know it's part of the steps that are taking to try to do something better. So, yeah, I, I'm impressed with what they're able to do. And, and as, as far as the season goes and trying to uh, appreciate it, I think they do a good job with that. Um, and as far as the recruits. Just privately. No, yeah, I, I think they do. I, I, but I, th I think it's also we're not going to come in. We're not going to come in after a big win and have a real easy practice on Monday because we've arrived because we had this wonderful match. At the same time, we're not one to come in after a match that we didn't play very well. And it's going to be boot camp for the next three hours either. We're not going to have those emotional swings. We have a very regimented Monday of how we handle our guys and it gets them prepared for the week, both on the court, off the court, mentally, physically. And I think the structure, it's like, you know, it's like raising my own two kids. You know, the more structure I can have in my own house, the, be my, the easier my week's going to go. It's probably right? easier in the pyramid <laughs> than in your house, right? Yeah. You know, at times it's, uh, <laughs> you never know. My kids are getting a little older now, so maybe. But, um, but you know, the, to go back to what you're saying about, uh, the recruiting, um, the, the, what I would say about the guys that this, this specific group is a, th there's a lot of, there's a lot of credit that goes into this. Gideon, TJ, Josh, and Kyle, if that's that, mar that marquee recruiting group, Kyle came because his brother was already in the program. He is the sixth set of siblings we've had in our program since I've coached here. What I take great pride in is that you're not sending your second child there if we messed up with your first one. <laughs> right. So we did something good there to get the second one. When it comes to Josh and, and TJ, they've been coming over here for years. This is what they grew up seeing in Long Beach State Volleyball. So where does the credit go? To the guys that played on those teams that they watched in their recruiting process, to the Taylor Crabs, the Taylor Gregories, the you know, Dalton Ammermans, the McKay Smiths the, of the world, Connor Albrights, so that this is what they saw themselves doing in the future. And that was the first group that we got to work with when we came back from the national team. So I think that getting that group started with what we did with that group. 
Mike mentioned it Friday night. You guys are at UC San Diego. Saturday, senior night in the Walter Pyramid at 7 p.m., taking on UCSD. And then after a trip to Hawaii, which is obviously a very big trip to Hawaii, you guys are hosting on ESPN3 the first Big West tournament here in the Walter Pyramid. Talk about that. I mean, you've got five of the top 11 teams in RPI in this conference. This place is going to be rocking. Yeah, it's great. It's I mean, the first, you know, conference to take on men's volleyball. It's the obviously the Volleyball Conference of America right now for men's volleyball. And the way they take on beach and women's, I love what the Big West has done for, for volleyball. But, yeah, that it's going to be great. It's going to be Thursday, Friday, Saturday. The way the Big West did it is they, they're predetermined sites. It's not because we're the number one team in the conference right now. It does not hurt. It does not hurt. <laughs> we certainly like playing at the Pyramid. We certainly like bringing all our fans in. But it's going to be exciting. You know, you've seen after, after our win against Irvine, the two through five in the conference is tied. So there's a lot of parity in our conference, and, and as, as our matches showed against Irvine, you know, even when, when we're playing those teams, it's, it's a battle. So I think it's going to be exciting, and, and th I think our, our fans got the chance last year to watch us win the MPSF here to get the automatic to the NCAs and got a good look of what it looks like to go to a conference tournament for volleyball because the women don't have a conference tournament, right. you know. So they got a taste of it last year, and they can come back for some more this year. Well, we're excited about that. That'll be here in the Pyramid April 19th through 21st. Uh, I'm hoping to only be covering you guys on the 20th and 21st. The top two teams do get a bye into the semifinals. Um, what is it about, we just mentioned five of the top 11 in the Big West. I, I can't remember another, you know, major, uh, another established sport that, ha that you could say that about, um, you know, for a mid-major conference where, again, men's volleyball, beach volleyball, there's a great history of the sport, but it's a new NCAA sport. Sure. Your guys' sport has been in the NCAA forever. Uh, it's an Olympic sport. There's a ton of professional leagues around the world. Why is it that that's the sport that the mid-majors can still kind of rule uh, the land a little bit? You know, you, <laughs> you look at, you mentioned, right, all that, like, everyone in the Big West has won a national championship. So why is that, uh, why is men's volleyball still that sport? Well, I think there's a lot of factors. I think where we're located nationally with our, how many kids play volleyball growing up here. I think the long traditions of, of these universities, I'd like to believe from top to bottom in our conference, we have some of the, the best coaches in the country. Um, and then, you know, the, it comes from the, the support of, of the local community coming out. But when it comes down why these teams can battle on a national scene is because they've done it for so long against teams that might in other sports be perceived as a step above or they can't compete. I don't think any team that's in the Big West right now feels any insecurity or inferiority complex about playing anybody. We've had a different Long Beach State coach on this show each week and kind of had to ask some same questions like softball's coach Souter. We asked her what aspect of softball has changed most since when she was playing to yeah. now. So for you, what aspect of college men's volleyball has yeah. changed most? Well, I mean, there's been so many changes to our sport. We've changed our scoring system. We've changed uh, – we have a new position on the court with a libero. We have – you can't you – you can serve anywhere along the end line. The rules of ball handling have greatly loosened up in the sport. The overall athleticism of the game is just so far superior what I, that I played with on a on a wide scale. Just from the sheer numbers of kids that are playing, it's just the the level's gotten so much higher. The quality of coaching at the lower levels because they've played for the last 20 years and then went back into coaching. What kids are doing in the high school level and the club level, we, we were barely doing at the collegiate level hmm. as far as the offenses they were trying to run. So it's just it, it's changed so much. Uh, it's it's just exciting to watch it evolve. 
And then we also got a can- chance to talk to uh, Coach Campbell, beach volleyball coach, and we asked him how would he fix professional beach volleyball. You've played in your share of fours and sixes. Yep. You have the <laughs> you have the crown for a day. What what do you do to fix the beach? Yeah. Well, that's a tough one because you know internationally, that's exactly what he said. <laughs> there's just so many different parts of it. I, I I played four man on the beach, and I thought from a spectator standpoint, it was really it was really enjoyable to watch because you still had the beach element where there was a lot of we had played on this full size court. Um, where there was the finesse of the beach game and shots would go down, but you had four bodies out there, so there was more blocking, and there was longer rallies because it was hard to kill a ball. And then you could take a lot of the big-name indoor players, and they could get out there and play on the beach because they didn't have to cover the whole court. And so you had that draw of, here's hey, there's four Olympians on this tour when we come into town. So if you didn't know a lot about it, people would come out and watch. So I, I, I love that. I think that was great. And I do still think that there's a market for the four-man but as far as the beach, RAVP and FIVB, I just think it's difficult for the, the non-volleyball, die-hard volleyball fan to understand what is even the difference yes. of the AVP and FIVB. And how do, does one, how do you play on one? How do you play on the other? And to me, it's kind of like explain to someone what's the, you know, the qualifying tours to the PGA, to the international. How do you play in the Masters? How do you play in this? And I think we got to... There's got to be a collaboration between our own domestic tour and the international tour to sell a unified product of beach volleyball. Well, that, that's that's essentially the answer that I would give, and I would I, I think almost expand that into the indoor game as well. I just you know I was someone who didn't know a lot about this sport before I started covering it, and I think like my, my wife's uh, dad was a lifelong volleyball guy, so she grew up watching it. And I said to her after the first match I went and covered, I was like, why is this sport not as popular as basketball? Yeah. I mean, like I personally yeah. would much rather go to an NCAA volleyball match than, than mo- a Major League Baseball game most of the time. Yeah. Do you ever sort of sit there and go, like, why aren't we on the cover of Sports Illustrated? <laughs> you know what I mean? I, like, yeah. Because I agree with you. I, th- it, I feel like it'll take a concerted effort from the sport to go, we've got to decide to do one thing, yes. and then we've got to put all the talent and all of the interest and resources into it. Oh, I definitely agree with that, and I think that a perfect example is that when I was coaching the USA team and we were getting ready to qualify for the London Olympics and we were doing it here, which was phenomenal, um, the the idea was we're holding the Norseka Zonal Championships at the Pyramid, which if you're a volleyball fan, you understand that's that's fine. I know the teams. I know it's Canada, Mexico, Cuba. But if you're the average American <laughs> Olympic enthusiast, you have no idea. So it's the same as in soccer tells you they're going to go, we're going to host a CONCAF tournament. Right. Well, so I thought that w- I did a good job of trying to get USA Volleyball to believe in – I know we have to we have to officially call it the Norseka, but can we make it bigger where it says Olympic qualifier? I, I was about to say I remember every time we talked to you leading up to that, you're like, yes. "This is an Olympic qualifier." So we went from a Norseka <laughs> tournament that we'd hosted a couple of different times over, you know, because you have the Norseka zone for World Championships and World Cup, and then the Olympic Games, and the and the crowd size would be small, and all of a sudden we'd go the Olympic qualifier, and it's a sellout in the pyramid. Right. So and people want to see the U.S. teams do well. So I just think that getting all on the same page is is a big part of it. I hope it comes back is in it we've all we all remember the heydays of beach volleyball and it's some of the greatest times of my life is being around some of the big avp tournaments well i'll see you down there at the uh, world series of beach volleyball hopefully absolutely (laughs) uh coach Knight, thank you so much for taking the time uh we mentioned it before but we'll mention it again this weekend saturday senior night in the walter pyramid at 7 p.m long beach state taking on uc san diego then a little bit of a road trip to paradise and back here for that conference tournament we were talking about from the 19th to the 21st. Coach Knight, best of luck. Everybody's pulling for you, and uh, we can't wait to see you guys back at the Pyramid. Awesome, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Um, we will wrap this show up now, Mike, um, but people need to get the tickets. 
before they we, go, before they run out. We went a little long because uh, there was a little bit of news to talk about with Andy. <laughs> Just and then, a little. And then we happened to have the coach of the best uh, college volleyball team uh, in the country, the best college volleyball team I've probably ever seen uh, on as well. But JJ mentioned if you want tickets to either that Saturday uh, home match against UC San Diego or uh, the Big West tournament in in uh, in the pyramid from April 19th through 21st, you can call the Long Beach State box office at 562 985 4949 for all of your ticketing needs. Have we did we talk about playing beach volleyball last time we had uh, coach Campbell on? I believe we did. Yeah, we we really need to do get a uh, a athletic department fours or sixes maybe no, no for more the, softball for the world series of beach volleyball no more softball staff game it's <laughs> yeah, gonna be on I the sand this. courts now i love this <laughs> i'll bring the waiver forms <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome what a great episode uh thank you so much to the athletic department producer roger and everybody else here in the walter pyramid um andy this is awesome, man. We, we, we love doing this show, and it would not be as good as it can be or as it is without your, your candidness, and we really do appreciate that. Well, I'm excited to be here, and I hope the fans continue to tune in and, and share that you know this is a great podcast that you guys do. We're so uh, you know lucky as a community. You, know, you guys talked about what you're doing with the 562, and uh, you know Long Beach is a special place. I think we all know that, and uh, you know I'm lucky to be a part of it. Good stuff. We will talk to you guys next week right here at the LB Feast Show. For Mike, for JJ, and for everyone else, take care of Long Beach.